0: Hey there, everybody. Thanks for checking out my podcast. Uh, we still don't have a name for it, unfortunately. I think if you got this through iTunes or whatever, it probably says Boozy Banter. That's uh, just terrible name. I'm, I apologize uh, to you for that, but we haven't thought of a better one yet, so uh, we're still working on it, and if you have any suggestions, um, send them to me on, on Twitter or, or, I don't know, Carrier Pigeon or something, but... Get me ideas, because we want a new we want a new uh, title for this thing. But here's how it works. If you're uh, if you're new to this, if you need a refresher, uh, we do a couple things here. So um, a couple nights ago, on Sunday night, I went to a bar here in New York City, uh, near where I live. I invited a, a, a special guest from the from the political media world on, and we we talked for an hour and we did a couple things. We took questions, we took comments from from people who were watching on Meerkat. You know, it's that live streaming app you can get on your phone. Um, and, and I asked him a bunch of um, Bunch of icebreaker questions, you know, if you're trying to get to know somebody you didn't really know how to start a conversation, you might you might ask a question to break the ice. Well, I came up with a list of, of um, outside-the-box, unorthodox uh, icebreaker questions, so we did a lot of those throughout the hour, too. So the guest this week was Evan McMorris-Santoro. He's the White House correspondent for BuzzFeed. Um, he's on my show on MSNBC a lot. Uh, you've probably read him. You've probably seen him on TV. You might have heard him on the radio uh, really politically smart guy all around, just a, a pretty uh, funny guy. Um, hope you enjoy this uh, this conversation. Uh, and uh, check us out sometime, too, on, on Meerkat if you want. But uh, here it is with Evan McMorris-Santoro. we're still trying to think of a name for the podcast, so I want to put this challenge out there to everybody listening. Um, it's currently listed as boozy banter, and then it gets lamer every time I say it. So we don't want to call it boozy banter. Now we're thinking, you know, untitled podcast with Steve Kornacki. I had an idea, playing it straight, but I don't know. Um, So, (laughs) come up with an idea. See, you know, send it in, tweet it at me, something like that. So, anyway, those are the things that are going on here. I think we got the audience joining us now. You guys on Meerkat, send in your questions, send in your comments um, for tonight's special guest. So, let me introduce tonight's special guest. He was actually on another show, the MSNBC show I do. Up, he was on that show this morning. He stayed around. He's here with us now. He is the White House correspondent for BuzzFeed. He's written for Talking Points Memo. He's a, a Washington, D.C. guy through and through. He's from Tennessee. I'm from North Carolina. North Carolina. North Carolina. Close same, enough. Same difference. Yeah. <laughs> Once he gets south of Delaware, I don't know. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, please say hello to the one, the only, one of our favorite guests on Up and our favorite guest here tonight, Evan McMorris-Santora. Welcome. Hello, America. Thank you so for having me. Applause for you. How you doing, Evan?
1: Good. Can I just suggest off the top, Cornaki Cast with a K, two
0: K's, Cornaki Cast. Cornaki Cast. Cornaki Cast. This seems so bad. obvious to me. And, right. and the audience members would be Kornackalites.
1: Yeah. This is brilliant. <laughs> this is brilliant. I'd, I'd wear a Kornackalite t-shirt. I am a Kornackalite. I'd say.
0: All right. So Evan came up with one. Can you one up him? Can you <laughs> send in a better title suggestion than that? Um, the other thing we're doing is Evan, you know. So I, yep. I I know you a little bit. You've been on our show six, seven times, probably more than that. I, a, I think a few. Yeah. You really are honest to god. You are I, I, you are our favorite guest. Well, that's really of you to say. And I and I'm not, and I'm not just saying that because I, we we have conversations all the time. Who can we book to put on our panel? And I always tell people the model is Evan McMorris Santoro. That's so nice. And I said because you're you're very you 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 know politics, but you also you're just a good talker in general.
1: Well, I appreciate that, and it's also I think you have. Um, one of the best shows on television, if not the best, definitely uh, in the morning. People be watching this show. It's the best show. It is. I love going on. Games. It really is
0: good. You guys do a really, really good job. It's the best uh, two-hour political news talk show on weekend mornings on basic cable. I'm pretty convinced of this, but, you know. But we can keep complimenting each other, or, or well, here's the other thing we can do. Uh, we did this last week with our guest Ronan Farrow, and it was enlightening because well, well, I'll tell you what we had. We had Brian Stelter two weeks ago, then we had Ronan Farrow, and I didn't know Ronan that well. But we see, you know, he's on the air all the time. He's two offices down from me. He's a bit of a celebrity too, so I was a little intimidated. So I was like, "What can I do? How do I get? To, what do I ask Ronan about?" I wasn't sure, so I, I, I went to a website. Okay that has icebreaker questions. All right. You know, for those awkward social situations where you, but they were really bad. They were like, you know, <laughs> what's your favorite temperature? Is you know? So uh-huh. I came up with my own icebreaker questions. So, so what we're going to do throughout the show tonight, and this is where I invite the audience to, to, to take part. To get to know Evan a little bit, uh, I've come up with a list of 18 icebreaker questions. So okay. how we're going to do this is throughout the show tonight, You'll pick a number, 1 through 18. Okay. You'll be asked the uh, icebreaker question. You'll have to answer it, and then I will tell you if you're right or wrong. <laughs> all right. I love it. Uh, and if the audience has any icebreaker questions, get to know Evan, get to know me, get to know each other. Send them in. I see everybody right. I'm just looking at this right now. Uh, somebody's saying, I agree with Evan. I pretty much only watch Steve.
1: That's it. Thank you, Dad. That's all, I, you, I, that, that's I all appreciate you have to that. watch. That's all you have to watch. <laughs> I don't know if people saw you today on the magic wall. It was peak magic wall, I think, today with you and those polls about the... About oh, the, we were, yeah. ...coming
0: into the debates. It was amazing. Anyway, we were talking, we do this, yeah. I, I love this feature every week. The, the top 10 Republican candidates in the polls are going to get into the presidential debate. So we do it to the 10th of a point every week. Mm-hmm. Who's And it's it's Christie at number 10 right now, Santorum at number 11, 1.8 points separating them. I love this stuff. I, I, I love that we're having a primary about debates
1: before we even have a primary. It's it's absolutely amazing this cycle. It's just wonderful. I hope people are having a good time watching it.
0: Alright, so Evan, pick a number from... Lucky number seven, please. Number seven. seven. You are now required by law to answer this icebreaker question. I gotta tell you, it's actually the worst icebreaker question of the entire 18. (laughs) What a way to start the show. You guys can definitely do better than this. So, uh, let's see here. Blue Ridge Parkway or Pacific Coast Highway?
1: Well, being from North Carolina as I am, and also as Tennessee, I guess. Blue Ridge Parkway, definitely. Hundred percent.
0: I'm sorry, that's the wrong answer. It was a trick question. The correct answer is New Jersey Turnpike. (laughs) (laughs) So you see how this works.
1: I will say recently I was trapped by the train crash when I came on your show. I think maybe the last time I was on the train, that the the terrible train crash meant there was no train back to New York. I mean, back to DC. So I drove. So I looked on. I I looked up in uh, New York Times. I found the best, and and I looked in NewJersey.com and I found the best diner, and I stopped at a big in New Jersey. I found which one. it was a huge... I've heard what the name of it is now. It's terrible TV. But it was a huge diner with, like, four different kinds of diners connected in it. it I'm trying... Gigantic. Is this down...
0: Is this, so is this sort of in close to South Jersey? South. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. It was a couple hours out. Oh, I know where you're talking. Okay. So you, here's the thing. I ate so well. The, pie, the piece of pie was, like, this big. Oh, it was this, great. I, I wrote an essay once. I, I've been published in the New York Times once in my life. All right. And it was an essay about my love of New Jersey diners. Okay. And I... I grew up where I grew up. The diner was this thing that opened at five in the morning and closed at two in the. It was a breakfast place. That was it. Okay. When I got to New Jersey, I re- every town in New Jersey. You know, whether it's one of the rich suburban towns or a blue-collar place you know they all have that one diner it's like a it has like aluminum foil oh, exterior yeah. you know you come inside and they're open at like three in the morning you go in there and you get a 14 page menu yeah, disco it. fries yep. you know fries covered in gravy and shit. oh I love it so what's the best din- what's the best diner
1: in New Jersey
0: so I have three okay um, or I had three at that point uh, but one I was biased so one was called the Omega Omega I've never had matzo ball soup in my life. And and I had it at the Omega, and it was fantastic. So I I like that. Yeah. Um, then there was one uh, called the Six Brothers. Oh, that sounds it was out correct. was that on Route Forty Six? And there was one there was one in Hoboken uh, called the the uh, the, <laughs> the Malibu Diner. It okay. was actually a terrible diner. But I lived <laughs> in Hoboken, as I went. It was the only one in town, so I would go there every single night. And the whole the theme of my essay was the one night when I kind of got like I got sick of it. I got bored of it. And I drove into Manhattan to go to a diner there, oh, and man. I went to the diner, and they charged me for all five refills, and the sandwich was terrible, <laughs> and there was no smoking, and then I got out and my car had been towed, so it was, a, it was a terrible experience.
1: Well, listen, I will find the name of the diner that I went to, which is none of those three, and I will put it on my Twitter feed, at Evan McSan, if you want to see you later. I'll
0: figure out what it was. So, But have you, have you done, getting back to the question, because it's yeah. very important, have you yeah. done the Pacific Coast Highway?
1: I haven't. So I've only been to California a few times. I've been mostly to Los Angeles. I did a little bit outside of Los Angeles. I need to do more of of California. I've done the Blue Ridge Parkway. Not all of it, but quite a bit of
0: it. You can't go. uh, It's not a real highway where you go like 75 miles an hour, right? It's like it's a it's a. Oh, the Blue
1: Ridge Parkway. Yeah, it's a
0: it's a big path you can walk on for parts of it. Oh, wow. There's
1: parts of that. But the Blue Ridge Parkway, yeah,
0: no, it's, it's a highway.
1: It, yeah, it's, it's not a very fast, but it moves, you know, it snakes around through mountains and things. So I it's mean, it's a similar type of highway to what the Pacific Coast Highway is based on what I know of it, but you don't see a lot of people doing really fast-paced driving and roadsters and stuff. It's more of like a slow down and look around at what you're, what, what you're seeing.
0: I, I did the Pacific Coast Highway. It's on my list of things, to. I'm trying to look through the comments here. The problem is I can't. So normally we have a, a Jeff Eldridge here. Who, uh, who moderates this thing, but he, he sent me a terse text about 20 minutes ago saying he couldn't do it, so uh, I'm just looking through. It says, move along, I'm missing OITNB on Netflix.
1: Oh, man. That's what is. <laughs> that, that's ours. Is a new block. That's, that's a harsh all, comment, first right? First of all, by the way, uh, you're not going to miss it. It's on whenever you want. <laughs> it's on demand. That's the whole point. Okay. And if you don't want to know where the best diners are in New Jersey, what else do you turn it into the internet for? This is crazy.
0: I think pick a, a micro analysis of the diners of North Jersey is the definition of a nationally relevant that's conversational right. well, topic. Okay. <laughs> pick another number, one through eighteen. Let's see what I else we have take, on this list. Uh,
1: ten. Number ten.
0: Oh, this is a much better one. All right. (laughs) Uh, Who are you most jealous of professionally? Uh,
1: (laughs) You know, actually, I have to say, so this is going to be kind of a serious answer to this question. The past couple weeks uh, have been such a big movement in LGBT rights. And I work with a guy at BuzzFeed named Chris Geidner. Who has been? who is one of the best reporters in America when it comes to the legal issues involving LGBT rights. And I have worked with this guy for two years. I've known him for years. And to just see the amount of work that he's done and to see what he's been able to pull off and to see what he's been able to sort of get a piece of this story that just owned this huge tectonic shift in America, it's really an amazing moment. I mean, when you're a White House reporter, you often sort of bop around from story to story, you sort of jump around from, from thing to thing. But to see a guy own something and know something so well, and to have it come to this end, and to have to have know everything about it, I mean, I, I have to say there's some, pro- some professional jealousy there. Uh, he's a wonderful reporter and a great guy, and just really, really good reporter. And you kind of, all of us as reporters want to get ourselves, sink our teeth into a story like that and have it ride out for that many years and end in a place that's, that everybody in the country is watching it,
0: you know? We'll give you credit for that answer. All right. I think, okay. I, think that, I think that was a good one. And actually, so speaking of BuzzFeed, I'll ask you a few things about that because we got one of the... Some of the audience people are asking you about BuzzFeed. And BuzzFeed okay. is this... I mean, you you work for one of the most iconic names in, in sort of web media these days. Right. Um, this guy asks, do you know the guy who controls BuzzFeed Twitter? I
1: do. It changes. There's a bunch of people who control BuzzFeed Twitter. There's a whole department that controls BuzzFeed Twitter. Uh, is there a follow-up to that question? or something I can ask? <laughs> well, uh, do they have... Uh, I know some of the people that control it, and I and I will say, listen, I will say that one of the things about BuzzFeed that's that's really amazing is that what's hard for the modern reporter that works on the internet, and I've worked in journalism for about ten years now at a lot of different places, is that the jumping into the sort of slipstream and getting your stuff promoted is very very difficult. Wait, what's the slipstream? Like, the, the slipstream, like, like slipstream so, so ideas. Like, so like, so like, the world sort of passing by and they streaming through, and you sort of get in there and, and, I and, and make an indentation of that is very difficult to do. And BuzzFeed has employees that are just devoted to making that happen for your stories. And that's a really, that's what the BuzzFeed guys who run the Twitter feed do and run the Facebook page and all this stuff. The whole thing about BuzzFeed is that they're really good at making our stuff it's, prominent on the web.
0: It's all in the headline, isn't it? No, it's actually—it's all like al- complex algorithms. How do you? But those like those, you know, twenty-seven things you wish yeah. you knew about cats or whatever. Well, right? Buzzfeed. <laughs> that, so I'm in the news <laughs> division of Buzzfeed. That side of Buzzfeed. That
1: is. That's the magic side of Buzzfeed. So I call when I come to New York and I go to the Buzzfeed office. I call it Wonka Land because it's essentially like that. There's just like big machines and fancy stuff and celebrities everywhere and people who are making these quizzes and. There's you know celebrity cats running around one hand, There was like a small pony walking around the office. I mean they just they, they live a whole different world at the BuzzFeed side of the BuzzFeed coin. BuzzFeed news is a little bit more staid. They're mostly just news
0: guys. You know we get up. So do you guys mix? Do you guys or is there just is there a wall they between those? don't talk to us. We're huge dorks. They don't want to deal with us. We you know we the slug guy around. who does cat gifts isn't a dork.
1: <laughs> no, they're really cool. Oh, okay. No no they're really cool. no. We have like a, maybe a, like a, like a folded newspaper under our arm. They don't understand that at all. No no absolutely not. The BuzzFeed side of the coin is very 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 cool.
0: How excited are you? This is a question from uh, Up Pastry Plate. How excited are you, Janine, is at BuzzFeed? I don't know who Janine is, do you? It,
1: the company the, the company has grown Oh so dear, that was much.
0: a tr- I shouldn't have asked that question. Uh, and
1: grown so <laughs> fast. I'm excited about everybody at BuzzFeed. <laughs> Up Pastry Plate, I'm sorry that I have failed you on that answer.
0: Um yeah, but it it speaking of c- c- Here's another one. Speaking of celebrity dish on Chrissy Teigen.
1: Okay. Chrissy Teigen. um, Ah, Chrissy Teigen. Yes. So we recently had a uh, BuzzFeed dinner that was surrounded at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. A a little bit of backstory. BuzzFeed does not not attend the White House Correspondents' Dinner. We sort of think it's a thing that maybe reporters shouldn't go to. There's there's been some issues with it. I I, I think So as a news organization, we've decided for a long time not to go. We've had our own party for a while. This year we had a dinner. And I was sitting next to Chrissy Teigen, the supermodel, Uh, and um, she is really cool and really fun. We had had, had a really fun time. We did shots of tequila. She uh, told me what to order. She's like, if if, if you go to Chrissy Teigen's Tumblr page and follow her on Twitter, she's like all about food and everything. We're talking about the food and the meal and, like, living in Hollywood and everything. Um, It was a really fun night, actually. I, I was a little bit nervous because, you know, as a sort of DC guy, as you mentioned, we don't really mix with the... The pretty and the popular very often. It's not something we know really how to do. And Christiane and I hit it off. I, I will say it was really right, good.
0: Yeah, they say politics is show business for ugly people, right? Is that the that's the? That's right.
1: What? Uh, and, her, and her husband John Legend was like texting her the whole night trying to find out what she was doing. And I thought that was really fun.
0: So you might have popped up in a in
1: a text between a supermodel and she, John Legend. That's she put me on a, she put me on Instagram. And I don't have Instagram, so you can't actually tag me on it. But she put me on it, and I got more emails from people that I knew in high school and stuff than anything I've ever done. Everyone in the world
0: saw this thing that you tagged me on. Isn't that that sort? That can be humbling sometimes. I feel like because in, in political journalism, we spend so much time on social media, right? On uh, Twitter, especially, Facebook, a little. I am getting into Instagram. I and I, yeah. I was it, today. I had one of those moments because I, I saw that the, the world record was set for most likes on an Instagram photo. It right. was set by one of those. Uh, Kardashian, Jenner, you know, one of those people. And it was 2.5 million likes. That's right. And I went and I found what I thought was my best picture that I'd ever taken on Instagram. And I remember seeing this thing and I I thought this like... The Miller High like, Life can. Yeah, it was a Miller High Life can on an empty beach in the middle of the winter. And I thought it was like it was a metaphor for human suffering. <laughs> and, and it had 12 likes. And I, so I put a pitch in. So I, well, I got excited. and I put a plea on national TV. I was like, go like this picture. I mean, you know, because the, the Jenner one was like, you know, it's a selfie or something. Right. There's a I mean, I'm sure she's beautiful or whatever, but, you know. Um, so I got 56 new likes off, <laughs> off of a national team. I mean, the world that we, we think of, like, the world of politics is this big thing, but it's nothing compared to the world out there of, of, of Christy Teigen and John Legend and all these people. That's
1: right. I mean, that's this is the reality when you meet these people, that they live in a very different planet than us. I mean, and part of the thing, I think, is actually, you know, Twitter is huge for reporters. But during the day on Twitter... Who's on Twitter at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday? It's mostly other reporters that are reading what other reporters do. I think this is this is another thing that us as journalists have to get better at, which is breaking out of the kind of hive mind that we've created for ourselves with social media and finding ways to not get Chrissy Teigen level of likes. I mean, she tweets about stuff that everybody wants to like and talk about and be interested in, Um, but find ways to engage readers and engage audience um, that are more appealing than just kind of like dry political snark tweets,
0: you know what I mean? It's reporters talking to reporters, trying to make each other laugh. I I think something like this is
1: something that helps do that. I mean, I mean, the fact is, this this right here? Yeah, I mean, this is participatory. People, people want to engage with you. And it's hard because our jobs, you know, we have very busy, we're very busy all day and we have to tweet kind of as part of our jobs as of how the job works now is a tweet, you know I mean? All my sources follow me on Twitter. All the people that I cover follow me on Twitter. You got to be engaged in that conversation. but it's important to figure out ways to do some tweeting, you know, after 7 o'clock when people who are not reporters are at home maybe with Twitter on. So, I mean, it's a, it's actually an interesting question. Chrissy Teigen was a really cool person to meet, but it's an interesting question about how we engage in social media, actually. I'm not sure if that's going to... Get somebody to stop watching Orange
0: is the New Black But I think it's interesting Yeah, well, as, as you say It's Netflix They could watch it anytime They could whatever want. they want Well, we were trying to figure out So we usually do this on Monday night So it's Sunday night now Like, what are we up against uh, A competition-wise uh, true, or,
1: blo- uh, true Detective Season 2 Right, that's a tough one Which, the first episode I don't know what the audience thinks First episode, I was intrigued There's some political stuff in it But it, I, it didn't
0: hit Who were like the, the detectives of this season? It was It's, uh, it's, uh, uh It was that guy Kyle from Ferrell. There you go
1: And, um I know who it is oh, Vin, Is it Vince Vaughn? R-
0: no, 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 Vince no. Vaughn, Vince Vaughn it's is not. a mafia
1: guy that runs the mafia there. It's Rose Mago- McGowan? Is that how you say it? Oh,
0: okay. Is that, is that
1: what it is? That's not... Yeah. She's a, it's
0: not her? It's not her? It's, uh, we're getting no from Brian over here. Can you know who it is? He doesn't want to be. All right. It. We use an alias, not anyway, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> all
1: right. Okay. All right, so should we do another
0: one? So that's where we're up. Yeah, so pick a number from 1 to 18, but not one that you've already picked. Okay, I'm going to go for three. Number three. Number three. Oh, Good question, Steve. If you were one of the escaped prisoners, what would you have done differently? <laughs> uh, I've thought about this one a lot.
1: <laughs> I think I would have downloaded the Uber app. <laughs> that
0: did not show up to be my ride. <laughs> I would have gotten out of there. Uh, I think. Uh, are they? So one of them. They got them both now. They got the second one this afternoon. Or if you're listening to the podcast Thursday earlier this week. This is
1: an interesting story because, you know, one thing that's not very covered about this, and this is going to be political nerd for a moment, is that there was one New York Times story I read about how there were all these budget cuts and changes in how they run these prisons that led to the fact that there was nobody guarding, like, that guard tower that the guy came out under, and nobody was checking the pipes and stuff, stuff like they used to. And it's an interesting sort of thing that, you know, we think about a lot of these cuts, and it's very easy to cut, like, the prison system, right? Because in general, people are like, well, you know, prison doesn't exist to people, to so night Exactly. Oh, yeah. But this allowed these guys, I guess, I mean, according to this New York Times story, to sort of create this crazy complex to tunnel out and then spend untold sums to try to track them down. I mean, we're talking about four or 5,000
0: law enforcement guys from all across the country for 23 days
1: sweeping. I mean, that's expensive.
0: Yeah, like thousands. I, so uh, the errors, So here's the thing. I, first of all, it's like, yeah, they come out of the manhole and the, the, the getaway car is not there. And right. I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. And I'm thinking, okay, my thought is i got to get in a car somehow. Mm -hmm. I don't have the Uber app necessarily, but I I am surprised that they didn't go and and steal a car. You know, I mean, maybe they don't have the skill set. I assume these guys, they just tunneled out of a a, a maximum security prison. Surely they know how to to jumpstart a car. You You would
1: imagine. I I don't think we actually know exactly what their path was yet. I'm sure we're going to learn much more about that. But I think part of it, it seemed to be... They were trying they, they, they weren't like burgling houses and stuff early on. Like, I think they were trying to sort of stay under the
0: radar. I mean, you know that's a, that's a quick fl- plan B I guess you gotta find. Here's an interesting question Somebody, somebody's saying this for the life of me, I can't fathom why the prison break in upstate New York was a national story. Do
1: you think it was a national story? Again, I think that when you get into the ideas of this infrastructure stuff and prison spending, maybe there's a story there. I think look, this is a fascinating tale and these were some really, really bad guys. And they were running around, and they had this completely amazing prison break. Um, I hear where people are coming with that. I know people don't want to hear about the sharks, and they don't want to hear about this, and they want to hear about that. But, you know, this is a very heavy 23 days of news, and I think we covered all of it pretty well. I think there was a plenty of stuff about the prisoners they had reported on, but we talked plenty about what happened in Charleston, plenty about what happened in the Supreme Court, plenty about what happened in, in Washington. Um, I think that sort of a regular consumer of news... Uh, has been well served the past month or so.
0: I it, I can agree with you, and, and I'm one of those like I, I defend these uh, uh, a lot of these uh, stories that, that we cover that people say, oh, it's, it's trivial. Who cares? The pri- I, I feel like the prison break. I, I think there's something about the drama of it that's just we all watch it. We know they're, ter- they're terrible, horrible people, and the yeah. you know and all of that. But the, the idea of uh, the, just the idea of escape. I think everybody has an escape fantasy somehow or another in their life. I'm going to get out of this job. I'm going to get out of this house. I'm going to get out of this marriage, whatever it is. Yeah. And and this here's podcast. the guys that got out of a maximum security prison. It's like it's like they, 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 are they rewriting their future in a way they're just not supposed to? Again. Horrible, terrible people. I'm probably not expressing what mean, this well, through, but what, it, what was it, forty feet of height? I mean They got through the wall. They got into the air duct. They I mean they did all these things. They got yeah. under a wall that's forty feet underground. That's right. There's
1: something fascinating about how when people don't are left to their own devices, they don't they don't have anything else to do like these prisoners didn't what they can devise and figure out. I mean this is an amazing thing to climb out of this thing. Yeah. And you know, I think if you're you know if you're in New York, I'm sure you were really interested in to know where these guys were. Uh, and you know, uh, I I think think the country country was interested in it for a
0: real reason. And I think there's room. I mean, one of the great things about media, the way it is right now, uh, uh, all the buzzfeeds of the world, the slates are, there are so many sources for news right now. The the comment that drives me crazy when I flip on Twitter or check my email or whatever is always like, you know, you are covering X right now, but Y is so much more important. And my point is, well, okay, I'm covering X, and if you're interested in X, you can watch me on this. And if you're interested in why, guess what? There are now like 72,000 other sources of information out there, and everybody has the ability to go out there. It's no longer, hey, if it's, if it's not on the front page of the Washington Post, it didn't happen. That, that's 20 years ago. Now it's like it's happening somewhere. Everything is happening somewhere. Well, I do think that we should not let the short attention span of the modern
1: media... This story is a story that should, after this is over, these guys are caught, and now it appears that they have been. We'd have a conversation about what happened, and 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 if there are questions and debates to be had about how prisons are funded and how prisons are run, we should have those debates. We should have those conversations. I think we learned from this Charleston shooting, this horrible, horrible act, that there were a certain number of activists that were not going to let this just sort of pass into the pass into the history without anything happening, and we're seeing an amazing change in the South in terms of. People talking about the Confederate flag and uh, Confederate symbols in a way that has not been talked about for 20 years. Yeah, you're so you're um, from the
0: you're from the South. I am. Uh, now you said so, uh, North Carolina. I feel at my view of North Carolina, and I say this as somebody who's been there once in 1989. Okay. Uh, but my sense of North Carolina is there's a there's a, a part of North Carolina that's really it is the South. Yes. And there's a part of North Carolina that's the North that happens to be in the South. Is that?
1: I wouldn't go so far as to say it's the North happens to be in the South, but I will say that the South, the way it is now, is that the kind of the polarization of America uh, is much clearer in the South. Every Southern state has a triangle area in Austin, a uh, you know even some parts of Charleston, South Carolina, that uh, they have these sort of areas where the two Democrats get elected, and the liberal city council, the liberal gets put on educated in, and the rest of the state, lives right. Um, has nothing to do with them, and. If you want to know what it's like, you know, when you when people live down there, they live with this polarization all the time. They live with the fact that you have uh, these cities and these townships that are doing their own thing and trying to sort of fight against a state that feels very differently from them. And I think it's kind of an interesting thing, actually. It's a great place to grow up politically because I have seen the kind of national politics that we're having now play out my whole life, really. I mean, and, and, and uh, you know, North Carolina is a place that, had a was fairly progressive for the south for a long time uh one thing the southern states did for a long time even when they were segregated and when they were uh not a great place to be uh if you're an african-american was that they 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 tend to spend money on the state schools were big in north carolina roads were big in north carolina um and as the republican party has changed and conservatism that still runs the state has always run the state as conservatism has changed you've seen those things that were part of those states uh, kind of go away. So North Carolina doesn't spend the money on schools it used to, it doesn't spend the money on roads it used to, um, but there is a shift in the party away from some of the uh, Confederate symbols and things like that that we would have seen before. So it's an interesting sort of moment for politics there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that the, almost every Southern state is like a tiny microcosm of the rest of the country. And, there you have, uh, and the rest of the country, you have more, more more people living in cities than you do
0: not living in cities,
1: but in the South, you really do have these both sides of politics.
0: And is it, is, it, uh, is it true you can't go more than 10 miles like any of a Waffle House? Yes, that is true.
1: That's 100% true. Are you, are you a Waffle way, House guy? You wouldn't want to go 10 miles after <laughs> a Waffle House because Waffle House is amazing. They are delicious. Okay, Waffle House is a place, you. they do, I recommend everybody who's watching this, if you're in the South, you drive past Waffle go in there, get the hash browns, they do everything to it, scatter it, cover it everything. Do everything they can do. With a lot, you'll, be, you'll be a happy person. I'm trying to think like I'll what uh, trying to
0: think like fast food chain New York institution I can recommend for you and all I'm coming up with is Sparrow. But I don't, <laughs> <Come> <laughs> don't think on. you, I don't think you want that. That's what Donald and Sarah Palin for pizza. You've got to be kidding me. Where they, they cut up with the fork Even and I knife. Know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what is better around here? I, let me think about that one. While I'm thinking about that, pick another number. Let's, 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 let's learn more about uh, Evan here.
1: Let's go with um
0: Eight. Eight. Oh, we've talked a lot about social media, so this will be relevant. How frequently do you use the mute feature on Twitter? Uh, did you know I, about the mute feature? I do. I know it This thing well. has changed my life. I've started, <laughs> started using it a lot more. Um, what does it take to get muted by Evan McMorris-Santoro?
1: What it takes is I, I feel like when Twitter was at its height, it's doing really, really well. There were real things that were happening, real conversations that were happening now. And now it's kind of a... Uh, battle of who can be more shrill all the time and frankly I'm just not interested in that. I'm not interested in kind of somebody who tweets the same thing six times in the day and they're they're really shrill about whatever it is and I don't, you know, this is not a uh, whatever political side you are. I, I have a very diverse Twitter following because the reality is you can really, I do social media you can really crawl into what's going on across the country with social media if you do it right. Um, but at this point everyone's trying to start the next hashtag war Mm-hmm. And I'm just not interested in being a part of that. So, I mean, it's it's not my job. I'm a reporter. I want to know facts and people People are thinking. I don't need to know sort of that you're trying to gin up a big
0: attack on something. So, I, I, I mute those people. The, the key to getting muted by me is if you are the kind who is always um, arguing with your Twitter followers, uh, doing the retweet yeah. and arguing with their comments and putting into the stream, <laughs> I don't want to be a part of that. That's I don't need a- to see how you... Boy, the guy's got three followers in an eggshell avatar. And boy, you really just nailed him. I don't need to see that, you know? Yeah, also, also <laughs> the tweet canoe I've said
1: that that, 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 that gets you muted, which is when you have four or five people in the Twitter feed and they're just talking to each other. And
0: you're along for the ride? And I'll mute that. Oh, yeah. Then there's the, you just randomly get – I'll get these things. I, I'll, I'll flip on my page and somebody – it'll be like at – Rachel Maddow, at Dan Rather, at Steve Kornacki, at Bar- They'll put, like, nine random names together, and then they'll just go on, like, a 46— twi- You know, and uh, that—sorry, yeah, no, if that was you, you'd been muted, too. Absolutely but, you not, know, that- what I think about all the time, though, is who's muted me? Because I do some annoying stuff on right, Twitter, you can, I'm sure. I mean, you know? You'll never know. But that's the thing, that's right? Like you Because you, if you—you'll you, you, still—right. You, you never know now. Or unfollowing. Unfollowing was unsubtle. You could go check and see, and, you know— it, it, does it. You ever have those moments where you look at somebody and you're like, do you, do you think less of them when you find out they don't follow you?
1: Uh, yeah, actually, recently, I will, I'll
0: call this out on Meerkat. Recently,
1: uh, a guy who followed me for years, Dave Weigel, pops up in my feed. If unfollowed I, you? Dave Weigel's not following you. I emailed immediately. I was like, really, Dave? He's <laughs> like, oh, uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know how many got unfollowed. <laughs> yeah, right. Dave, calling you out. I don't know what happened, but I was yeah, I was hurt. I was hurt. I'll, I'll I've say, known this guy for years.
0: D- Dave Weigel is, is a, a social, is a Twitter machine. I mean, he Absolutely. truly is. But I'll tell you what, and I, I gotta say this, is this is not meant as a dis, uh, against him or anything, but I, I stopped following him. And it's not because, it's, here's why. It, he tweets constantly. Uh-huh. His stuff is really good. Mm-hmm. It gets retweeted all the time. I don't, I don't miss seeing Dave Weigel by not following him because he gets retweeted into my stream anyway. Mm-hmm. So I see the best of it. That's bold. Yeah, I didn't mean to insult him. Yeah, no, he's bro. been a he's great. I you know, I, I, I take Listen, it back. It was a, a lot of
1: people <laughs> do this with BuzzFeed reporters because BuzzFeed reporters tweet each other so much. Do you guys have to do that? No, we just do it. We just we're, we, we, we we communicate very well inside as an organization, so we just meet each other all the time. because we, we know what everybody's working on, everybody's writing, and it's just a very easy thing to do. So we do it all the time. So a lot of people will only follow one or two Buzzfeed reporters because you can just
0: get all this stuff from everybody else's feeds. Anyway. It's true. No, you guys. Actually, now that I think about it, you guys are very. It, it always it does have a sort of a coordinated feel. You got Andrew Kaczynski writing for you guys too. I remember this is a this is one of those it really sort of only in the internet age stories, only in the social media age stories. I mean, so this guy, I don't know, is he 23, 24 years old? Maybe mm-hmm. he's a little older. But but he just, like, he he just digs through old videos, old newspapers, yeah. and he finds random, sometimes embarrassing things, uh, controversial things. you got, like, an opposition research That's right. The goal that, of what Andrew's doing now is to
1: have a, a, an opposition research shop inside of BuzzFeed. And there's a reason for that. Actually, I mean, if there's some political nerd still, still tuned in, the reason for that is that um, the opposition research world has gotten really bad in the past couple of cycles. Uh, it used to be every campaign sort of spent a lot of money on opposition research, and people would send you stuff, and it was really you know people were really serious about it. Now it's basically down to two firms: American Bridge and American Rising. Uh, America Rising, American Bridge is the Democratic firm. America Rising is a Republican firm, and they kind of brand their stuff, and they kind of push it a little bit. They'll push out a lot of like sort of edited videos and things like that. Um, the reason why we have our own in-house shop is because you really it's becoming much more difficult to trust oppo that comes out of campaigns and that's why we're doing it taking things way too out of context way too out of context there's a recent uh, reason why so this is a republican one Uh, uh, america rising had one that was uh, hillary clinton seemingly uh, telling a woman off. There's you know saying like, I want your autograph, I, I want your autograph. This, yeah. And it turned out, uh, actually this is a Dave Weigel story, it turned out that uh, if you watch the whole video, uh, she actually went and met this woman later and got the did the autograph and it was not what it was sold at all. And this has happened with Bridge several times too. Where they'll take a little thing out of context and they just won't We're not in a good stage for, for campaign Apple Research right now, in my opinion. I mean, I, I, I mean there's a reason why like as a reporter I wonder now, have we, have we ever been though? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there were times um, when these campaigns, when, they, when a campaign is getting the game, a campaign's doing it itself, they really care about what they're doing, and they don't want to get burned by it. Bridge and Rising want to duel for headlines. They want to get their names out there. And it has seemed to me that that desire to be name brands in Oppo Research has really hurt the work that they do. Which is like, I know people think this is kind of dark arts, the dark side of politics, but part of it is, look, as a reporter, I can't dig into every campaign. I mean, what Andrew does, he gets a team of people, and they sort of go dark, and they go do this stuff all the time, and they pull stuff out, but he doesn't have time to do the other kind of reporting that I have to do. Oppo research, I'm I'm supposed to get it and vet it, and sometimes you write a whole story off of it it, that's just a little chunk of it, sometimes the opposite research itself is a story, But this is is an important part of political reporting.
0: He's a a, a primary document researcher, right? He finds the document, he puts it out there, and then you make of it what you want. We fly into Little Rock. So there's this great story that
1: we did. It was Hillary Clinton in an old interview that people had not seen for years from Bill Clinton's first campaign, and she's being interviewed by the public television station in in Little Rock, Arkansas. And they were talking about how she at that time had kept her last name Rodham and how it might have hurt her husband. And it was just an amazing piece of political... Theater that also plays into the modern campaign because now she's Hillary Clinton, um, and no one has seen that forever. And we sent a reporter to Little Rock, Arkansas, to go, go into the library and find that and pull it out. Like that's the kind of stuff that we do.
0: It's really interesting stuff that they're doing. That's I, I'm just thinking back to my days as a as a uh, politics editor at Salon. I'm jealous of your ability to do that. that's, that's yeah. fantastic. Um, let's see here, Is that Tr- trying to look at the. Somebody liked it. Somebody said music is good. I should point out, usually we're here on Mondays. When we're here on Mondays, there's a different bartender here who plays Motown music, which is great. Oh, yeah, that's I'm a great. big Motown fan. I'm not this
1: is a cool bar, by the way. This is a great spot,
0: right? Yeah. What, do, you, do you recognize what genre of music this is? I I don't think it's I do. Kind of
1: like a, this sounds kind of like New wave 80s-y. I don't
0: know. This sure. is... This is
1: New audience agrees.
0: Somebody's uh, I cannot
1: believe you have me come on after Ronan Farrow. He's like, yeah, my dad's maybe Frank Sinatra, and I'm a celebrity. Whoa, I whoa!
0: Don't know, is. don't know what you're talking about there. Like, Unfamiliar with I'm this just, line of thought. It's like sometimes I mute Dave Wagle on Twitter.
1: Like, you're, you're welcome, America. We're <laughs> so lucky.
0: There are no <laughs> sacred cows on this show. Ronan was, Ronan was fantastic. I, it was, a, it was a, it was a great time. Uh, somebody says oh, for crying out loud, uh, and I say, let's move on to another number here. So you got 1 to 18, you're picking a few of them, but uh, what five. else? Number five. five. All right. What job do you secretly wish you had?
1: I've said this before in other interviews. I am secretly a huge car nut. Like, I'm a huge nerd about cars, and I'm all about them. I, I live in a city, I don't really I have an old, old terrible car, but I'm like really kind of a
0: gearhead like at heart. And I really feel like I could be a car salesman. I'd be happy doing that job. Just, but just given the general <laughs> reputation of car salesmen, does the fact that you think of yourself as a car yeah. salesman, does that say, oh, I mean, I'm charming, you know? <laughs> I can sell
1: you, you know? I can sell you the undercoating. I can sell you the undercoat. What coding, do what I think? gotta do to put you, know, you decide, in the yeah. undercoating? I can sell you the under- I mean, these people <laughs> rush right up on you, Steve. <laughs> what, kind okay. car, what kind of car would you sell? I'd want to sell something really expensive and Italian. <laughs> like, I want to be like a Maserati dealer. I want to wear like a, like a really like a expensive like Armani suit have like a chain. I mean I would
0: love that job. Actually it says here the correct answer was painter. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's not true <laughs> at all. I would I would like to uh, uh, my dream job is sportscaster. I, I would love to call I would love to call basketball and football. I don't want to do baseball. Yeah. I don't want to do track and field or box. I want to call it football and basketball. You don't here. want
1: to get like Joe Buck stuck doing golf now. Uh, Fox
0: No, uh, yeah. Fox is doing a terrible <laughs> job with golf. <laughs> oh, huh? I mean god. Although I'm honest, do you remember when Fox first got hockey and they did the, the glow puck? Absolutely, I remember that. And it would change colors the I faster it got. That was so cool. I, I can't watch hockey on TV because I can't see the puck. You can't see the, the puck. You know, it's sort of like there's this, all this movement and then everything stops and you're like, oh, somebody scored a goal. You think that they would have another channel that just had the glow puck? The glow puck was great. It should be. Well, there's this thing now. I, for uh, uh, college basketball, I saw they did this for the Final Four. You could watch the regular game with uh, Jim Nance and the yep. regular announcers. Where you could watch one, cha- one channel, uh, another one of the ESPN or uh, TNT things. Yeah, for the local. It was the Wisconsin people. That was and then really It was cool. the Duke people, and well, I, I, I like that. You know the that variety cool. you can, yeah. that you can get from that. Uh, where did you go to school?
1: I went to school at GW for a time, and at Guilford College for a time, and I uh, left on my own recognizance.
0: Guilford College In is that is that ML Carr's alma mater? I don't know. Former, I think he went to. No, it might have been High Point. Never mind. I didn't go
1: there for very long. I, went, sorry, so I went to UW for a few years, a couple years. And I just sort of left, and I went back in downtown, and I went to go for a year or two, and then I left.
0: And then so, you made your way to D.C. That's right.
1: That's right. So I have a lot of education. I don't have any degree.
0: Well, I, So I technically, I don't have a, um, a diploma. Uh, I had eight really? credits at the University of Massachusetts at Lowell, and I was at, at Boston University, and I, I technically graduated. However, I uh, the last week of... Uh, Oh, I, I, I'm told... Look at this. Eric Greenberg just showed me from Wikipedia, ML card did go to Guilford College. Oh, this is, this I, I that was... Time. I, am into that I was... Uh, <laughs> that's the biggest alum. I don't... Yeah. So BU told it's me... Uh, every, it's a
1: beautiful
0: campus, by the way. I, ch- I, I charged $25 in meal points my final week on campus. And I thought, I'm pulling a fast one on them because the diploma's already printed. And I got to the uh, to the ceremony and they said, you get a big envelope. It's either got your diploma in it or it's got like a letter explaining why there's no diploma. So I, I got the, the envelope... Came out to the crowd to take the picture of my parents. Open the envelope; it was empty. There was nothing in it. What? So I did, my parents, you know, they spent all this money there. They just want the picture of me yeah, and them, right. and the, you know, in the in right. the diploma. So I go over to the the lady who works for Com over on the side. I say, well, you know, what's what's going on here? And she said, oh, we just we removed your diploma at the last minute because we determined you owe the school twenty-five dollars. She said, I'm going on vacation. She gave me her card. See me in two weeks. <laughs> Over, Over $25. Over so 25 went to, I went to my parents. My mom just wants the picture with the diploma. So I, my friend Matt, Matt Kaplan, I get the, the diploma from him. So we had the picture of me graduating college, just me and my mom, if you look really closely, Matthew Evan Kaplan in the middle of it. And then they start sending. So I've gra- and they tell me, look, if anybody ever calls the school, we will say you graduated from Boston. Like if an employer calls and they want to make sure you have it, th- we'll say you graduated. I so said, fine by me. Okay. So they start sending a bill. Every, after I've graduated, three times a year, four times a year, we're getting a bill. It's being sent to my parents' house. My mom is like, would you please pay this? Would you please pay I said, Mom, this is a principle. I want you to save every single bill that they send. And when you accumulate more than $25 worth of postage, I'm going to send it back to them and say, here's your 25 bucks. cost you $25.20 to get it. Now give me my damn diploma. But what happened was after four years, they just stopped sending the bill. So I don't have the, I don't have the diploma.
1: So this, is, this, this will be good when you do your, uh, I bet you do your BU, uh, uh, Boston College? Boston University. University. When you do your BU, uh, you go to the commencement, and they finally give you that degree.
0: Oh, no, I want Both nothing to, you know, to you. they call for money now. I'm on the, you know, everybody's on the list for money. I give money to UMass every time they call me. That's, that's it. I tell everybody. And we changed my Wikipedia page. I now claim University of Vermont as my alma mater. <laughs> 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 uh, let's see here. I'm looking at the screen here. Uh somebody says he'll kick in five dollars. I don't want the diploma. That's the point That's of the story. Right. I've no, made it this to far to without this it. I don't need Boston University. Man, it's it's, on television show. It don't was the biggest the it point. was one of the biggest mistakes of my life. I should not have gone there. Right. Uh pick another number, Evan. Let's see what else 15. we can do. Fifteen. Oh, this is this is gonna get to the heart of who Evan McMorris Santoro is as a man. Okay. If you could go back in time and vote in the nineteen seventy six presidential election, would you cast your ballot for Gerald Ford or Jimmy Carter?
1: You know, it's a secret ballot. I'm afraid that, uh, you know, it's a secret ballot. As a reporter, I try to feel like I shouldn't make big sides in it. I will say One is dead. That's true. (laughs) One is dead. But I will say that one of the things that um, I'm born on January 19th, 1981, which is the last day of the Carter administration. So I am the last, essentially like the last of the non-Reagan babies you can get. There's no later you can get before they're Reagan babies. You got
0: one me. day of Jimmy Carter? One day. So I'm, I'm hearing... So I you know I'm, my mother am hearing that. Carter. That's yeah, what you, I'm...
1: you know how she voted in Metal
0: election. It, it, it was actually, it was a trick question. The correct answer was independent Eugene McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> so, who knew? Oh, okay. so, well, that's interesting. But that's an interesting philosophical question because... Um, your hesitancy to to answer this question about who you would have voted for in a thirty nine year old election, um, a lot. I've met reporters who who will not vote. Well, so I've met i met two times. And there's, there's, there's 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 some who vote and they say, look, I'll tell you who I voted for, or whatever. There's some who won't vote at all. They just say, listen. I cover politics. I want to be right down the middle. I don't want to ever have any bias. And then there's some who say, I cover it. I, I don't want anybody to know how I vote, but I still vote. Where do you where do you fall on that? So
1: I feel like as an American, your obligation is to. I think, I think I think we've made a big mistake that we talk about the idea of not voting as being some kind of uh, some kind of decision that you can make to be a part of the process. If you don't vote, you're making no decision, you're making no claim. You have one job as a citizen of a democracy and that is to vote when you're supposed to vote. That's the one time you have the same amount of powers as Barack Obama does, one you have the same amount of powers as your mayor does, or as anybody else, that's when you're supposed to do it. So, I feel like Everybody should vote. So I do vote every time I can vote. Um, I'm registered unaffiliated in Washington, and Washington is a place where closed primaries run by Democrats, so I don't get to vote that much. Do you
0: feel like you've... I, this is a dilemma for people in New but York City, too. Do I you d- feel like you've disenfranchised yourself when when the pri- when you're in a place where it's so overwhelmingly one party and, and the primary's closed, to register as an independent is to basically say, look, they're going to pick the next mayor, governor, whatever, in the primary, and I can't participate in that.
1: It's a discussion that a lot of reporter friends that I have in D.C. have. A lot of reporters who... Um, are of all different kinds of, of the spectrum registered Democrats so that can vote in the primaries which is the only important election in Washington I I don't feel like I'm a member of either of those parties and I and I, I genuinely feel like when I, when I vote and it it's a secret ballot and I think that it's a secret ballot for everyone I think it's really nice when voters tell me who they voted for when voters tell posters who they're going to vote for but there's no obligation to do it and honestly I feel sort of as a reporter it's not about kind of like some false objectivity you're trying to pretend to I don't think things about things as I cover things it's that when it comes to specific candidates, the reality is I'm interested in the news like I don't think you, I don't want people thinking that because I, you know as an educated voter, cover an election go to a a voting booth make my choice and pull the lever for that person that that means it had anything to do with what I was covering or what I was doing and I genuinely feel like it is your obligation to vote but it's not your obligation to talk about it and I just think that there's no reason for me to join a party when I want to cover everybody, and I don't have a bias in that particular way. Like I want to cover both parties and cover everybody equally, and I don't want to be beholden to one side or the other in that way. And also, when I vote, like it's just my vote. It doesn't like that's. I'm not on the clock when I'm voting. When I'm on the clock, I'm on the clock, and I feel like when I'm talking
0: about my vote. I'm on the clock. No,
1: I. Then, I rather, rather, rather saying, I right? cannot. No, I'm not about
0: I, it. no, I hear what you're saying, and I. And I, I mean, I. I respect that. Um, is he going to vote for Hillary? <laughs> um, we got so g- good I'm news. Trump man all the way <laughs> the show today. We have some exciting news. Uh, Jeff Eldridge, who normally moderates, has made a surprise appearance, and he has oh, something. So I'm going to go to Jeff. No,
1: I just wanted to ask you a question, one of your nerdy counterfactuals. If Ford had been reelected in 76,
0: would there have ever been a President Reagan? This is one of my absolute favorite questions. Right. So think about this. Think about how close Gerald Ford came to getting reelected in 1976. If there had been a switch of, I think it was something like one out of every 1,000 votes in Hawaii and Ohio, Gerald Ford would have beaten Jimmy Carter and gotten a full term as president. And what would that full term as president would have been economically calamitous uh, uh, for him. We um, would have had massive inflation, you know, all of the, all of the— all the problems that Jimmy Carter had in his presidency, the problems that allowed Ronald Reagan, who was seen previous to 1980 as way too extreme, way too ideological to ever win a national election, Reagan was able to capitalize on the perceived total failure of Jimmy Carter. Instead, yeah. the hostage crisis probably still happens. It's probably Gerald Ford's. I don't know, maybe he finds some way to get them out, but you know, there's probably a hostage crisis. And, and the economy is, is absolute, you know, it's absolute shit. And you're coming off basically, so what happens in 1980? I mean, I've heard the theory put out there history, American history as it's currently written is that uh, the the Ronald Reagan came in in 1980 and there's this huge conservative landslide and then, you know, two years into his presidency, the recession ends, the economy takes off, and there's this Reagan renaissance and the renaissance of conservatism. Well, what happens if instead Gerald Ford wins in 76, the economy's terrible, country turns on the Republicans, no way we're putting them back in again, and the Democrats nominate who? Ted Kennedy. The yeah. face of liberalism, yeah. and the economy still turns around in 1982. Is the story of modern American history totally different? Is the story of the 80s not that we elected a conservative and the economy took off, but that we elected a liberal and the economy took off?
1: That's a fascinating story. I mean, one of those, I, I've been listening a lot to uh, John Dickerson's podcast. It's called uh, Whistle Stop. You can get downloaded. It. It's very good. He talks about sort of political moments uh, and talking about Reagan. It's a fascinating story. To think about as political journalists because you could not find a political reporter. In 1979, we thought Ron Reagan a shot. Right. And he not only did he have a shot, he won overwhelming, huge landslides. And it's one of those things that, you know, it's important that we as reporters pay attention to the fact that, you know, what happens in the Acela corridor, as everybody says, is not necessarily America. And, you know, that's why elections are fascinating, because honestly, a lot of things can happen. The one reason, you, you know, we're talking on your show today on the, on, the, on the TV show today about, you know, a myriad of new candidates are jumping in the race. You know, I heard. I think I read Kasich on the way over Yeah, Yeah, uh, yep. Christie's getting in. We saw Trump getting in. The reason why is these guys can sit with their consultants and sketch a pathway to victory. They think that they can. And honestly, stories like Reagan prove that they might be right. And, and Kasich... And those things can change history forever. I mean, Obama in 2007, uh, 2006 or 2007, that was not something that people thought was going to be that... Legitimate either. Hillary was unstoppable, you know?
0: What I'm hearing is President Pataki.
1: Yeah, I think I, 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 I'm willing to. I'll put a bet down now <laughs> that the next President of the United States is James Gilmore out <laughs> of <Adam>, Virginia. <laughs> Gilmore
0: Pataki. <laughs> Jim, ticket. Jim Gilmore. <laughs> North and South united <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's right. Yeah. Well, I, was, I, I said, it's got to be. Eight years. The guy I feel sorry for this morning was was uh, 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 Bobby Jindal, because you, you said we did that um, on the show today. We did the, uh, uh, who's going to make the debate cut and who isn't? Right. What's the current polling average of all 17 Republican names out there? So yep. Pataki is 16th place at 1.2%. 17th place is Bobby Jindal. He's under George. More people are saying they want George Pataki to be the, for the president than Bobby Jindal. I, ooh. I don't
1: know how what you do with a field, yeah. the size that you have, when things are so different. In 2012 they had these constantly to- televised debates and herman king got to say 999 and get his moment in the in the sun and new Gingrich got to say you know john king you know you're an asshole or whatever and he got to have his moment in the sun i don't know sort of what how it works this time how they're going to do it they all have huge money behind them and it seems like what they're going to do is just sort of eventually just start nuking each other with negative advertising but the path is so different now. I mean, I'm fascinated to know like, how a guy who's sitting at the level that Bobby Jindal is thinks he's going to climb up out of a 14-, 16-, 17-, 18-person field. I don't know. Sometimes
0: I think they just, it's the kind of thing, they've thought about it their whole adult lives. They've thought about their whole lives in some cases. And If you're Bobby Jindal, you, you've thought about it. There was a time there five, ten years ago when you were seen as, like, the big thing, the next big thing on the Republican side. It's, you're two terms in as Louisiana governor. It's like, look, I, I may not may not look good right now, but it's never going to look better.
1: That's right. That's right. So but, give you know, it a I shot. Mean, and I think that they actually do. I mean, the way campaigns generally work, you sit down, you pay somebody a lot of money, they, they tell you this is how you're going to win, and if you believe them, you do it. I mean, so I think they, I mean, they must think they have a chance. It's just fascinating to imagine how this is gonna, all going to play out in terms of this field, this size. I, this. I
0: can't. I really can't wait for that first debate. It's, 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 it's going to be so fun it, to it watch. There
1: might be two debates. There's gonna be a debate. And there's gonna be a kids'
0: table debate. That, right. Then there's gonna be or well, the forum. Right. They're all yeah. gonna. But the, I think that's the one. Aren't they, aren't they? saying the rules for that is they're, they're gonna speak one at a time. There's no. It's the direct interaction. It, it's Trump you. looking at Jeb Bush and saying, "Jeb, you're a loser. Let's face it." <laughs> <laughs> and then, and <laughs> what does he say to that? You know. Paper
1: bag. <laughs> <the> right. <laughs> Trump gonna bring his own podium in. A gold plated podium. Gold plated.
0: Is there? You think an escalator onto the stage yeah, and oh, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Alright Evan, let's learn some more about you What? Uh, uh, pick another number here
1: uh, Let's see, what are we done. Let's do number one
0: Number one Lo- Number one uh, When Orion Pictures makes a movie about your life What do you want the title to be? <laughs> I can't believe
1: I ate the whole thing no- <laughs> uh, Yeah, I mean I don't know, honestly uh, Yeah, that's probably it
0: it was a trick question. Orion went out of business in 1999. Oh. Oh but thank God. you for proving you're a massively egotistical person who thinks about what kind of movie would be made about him. Ronan Farrow totally <laughs> got that question right, didn't he? He knows the answer to that one. That's, uh, that was... Um, Orion,
1: that was a big... Oh, I remember that. I, that's What did they do? They did like every movie back when we were In the early younger. 90s. They, they, they did... A, in, the stars went in the circle. It became the O. It popped out to no, Orion. Yeah, you remember that. They it. did like every movie. I
0: think they lost a lot of money on Little Man Tate. Oh, boy. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, one? I do remember <laughs> that. Jodie Foster. Yeah, it was that's like, odd. No one's going to hold the Reagan assassination attempt against her, but they did damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was odd. Um, Brian, Stelter, Brian Stelter just Stelter uh, hey, he, he asked Brian. what he's missed. Brian Stelter asked what he missed? <laughs> well, uh, This is amazing. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> we
1: determined that. Uh, uh, let's see, what, what have we missed so far? Uh, Blue Ridge Parkway.
0: Uh, Diners in New Jersey.
1: Brian, there's been a lot of great stuff. You're going to need to download it and, and check it out.
0: <laughs> yeah, this will be a... Uh, I, I, my goal with this show is eventually to, to justify a segment on reliable sources on, oh. on CNN about how you we have, run. like, this is the future of... It'll probably be, I'll say something like embarrassing and career-killing, and that will be the segment, <laughs> but I would love down this down to here. be, like, you know... a
1: camera crew and shoot the whole thing. I think
0: it'd be great. Giving them ideas. I, I like this. Uh, we, we got more, I want to get more of these in. Put, pick All another right. number here. What else do we got? Uh, 14. Fourteen. Fourteen. This is timely. Dateline okay. is airing a special right now called My Kid Would Never Do That. If and when you have one, what is one, the one thing your kid will never do? Well, knowing Murphy's
1: Law, it will be never snort laugh, never like politics, be super good at sports. Like, I know my, my kid's going to be everything, like, not appreciate science fiction, like anything that I like, I think my kid's not gonna be in any of it. That's that I think this is how Murphy's Law is gonna play out. I'm gonna be stuck with like a jock like a like a, like a jock, um I don't know, country Western fan kid. But
0: do you do you do you part of you like the idea of, of having a kid who can achieve the things you couldn't in life? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, oh, okay, oh. <laughs> I want a kid that understands the between the different enterprises and can talk about which ones are faster and slow. I mean, these are these are important things you want to know in life.
0: I, 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 you know, I think I'd be a terrible. I mean, I'm. I think I'd be a terrible parent. Uh, I, I, I judge that basically. I, I'm. I'm not a. I'm a very selfish person and I'm a very lazy person and I think these are these are qualities that don't. You're a lazy eh, person? I'm an extremely lazy person. I you know. Get mad at so we got a lot of people from my show are here. You can ask them about, you know, yeah, they're, they're nodding their head. I mean, we had, we had so Stelter, if he's still watching Stelter came on, Brian Stelter from CNN came on a couple weeks ago and I was just asking him, so he does a Sunday morning show. He's on at 11 a.m. We're on, a, you know, 8 to 10. And I was asking him, you know, what is Sunday morning ritualist. And I said, "What time do you get to the office?" And I'm thinking, "He's he's got the 11 a.m. show. He that must be what 10:15, 10, 10:20. 10, he gets there at like five or 5:30, which is like an hour before I get into the office. And I spend the first hour sleeping. And you know, so they at about seven o'clock, I start looking at scripts for the for the for the 8 a.m. show, and I'm like, "Holy shit, we're talking about this today. Well, that's gonna be that's gonna be something special." Uh, so. well, it's very similar to your guests now.
1: I am now at the point now where if I if I've not gotten the text from one of your producers the where are you text I'm like okay now I can leave oh are they are they do they panic they no they don't know they don't panic they don't want to get there but I mean it's that's how you know when to leave now is it further
0: from the hotel is it let me ask you this because I, I, I people ask me like what uh, uh people ask Well, the, the number one thing people ask me is you know uh, hey Chris Hayes what's your life like and I'm like well I'm not I'm not you know I'm sorry I'm not Chris Hayes but the yeah. number two thing they asked me once they realize that I'm not Chris Hayes is what like what has surprised you the most about the show? As is is like being on TV. That, the yeah. thing that surprised me the most about the Up Show, which we've been doing a little more than two years right now, is the number of guests we ask to come on the show who say no. Because I, I thought when we started this show I was like, hey, you know, we're big shots here, national TV show, people are you know, we ask they come. Yeah. And I would, I mean, I gotta say more than fifty percent are our bookers here. Do you, he's giving me, I no, not more than fifty percent. It's a lot. It's, it, whatever the number is. Okay, so it may be not 50. It may be more like 20. I, but there's, there's a, it's a surprising number of people say no. They, and it's like they can resist coming on. Is it when we call you up? So you're in D.C. We're no, calling you to come all, to New York.
1: It's an intimidating show. That's why. When we talk about it in Washington, it's a very, very smart show and smart questions. And it's like, you know, when you do one of these satellite hits sometimes, you come on. You take a question or two. You go off. it's five minutes. It's 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 a challenge on your show because you got to be ready to engage in a lot of different topics. I think people just don't want to do that.
0: I think people are, are aware of the, the the prep that I put in for the show, just the the rigorous <laughs> <laughs> James <laughs> Lipton esque. <laughs> 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 I have investigators looking stack, into every guest. Up, every you think kaczynski has got, back. got yeah, you yeah. think kaczynski has got an opposition research thing. Uh, we got a few minutes left, and we got a few more uh, questions on you, So pick another number, uh, Evan. Uh, number two. Number two. 105 degrees and humid, or five below and frigid, no precipitation in either case. <laughs> Which do you choose? 105 and humid every time. That's a southerner's. An- that's a southerner's answer, right? Darn right. But, but are you are you saying that because everything's air conditioned?
1: Yeah, I'm saying it because you know you can have a nice cool drink out there.
0: Cold is really cold,
1: and it cuts through your clothes. You know. do you have it's- a blanket? Oh no no no! I'm not. I, no, when it's when it's that cold, I was in Wisconsin for a brief time. And one day, it was really, really cold, and I couldn't deal with it, I was, like, I was freaking out how cold it was. The next day it was nice, it was temperate. I was walking around, and the, some guy tells me, oh yeah, it's zero today, yesterday it was negative <laughs> 20. I'm like, this is, people are supposed to live, this is like living on the moon,
0: like I'm out of here. That's not, that's, that's not for me. I see, I'm the exact opposite, I, I love, I, I always tell people, like I wish I could, I, I'm the reverse of a, of a uh, what's, what, what, what kind of animal, uh, who hibernates? The, Bears, the bear. Yeah, bear. I'm the opposite of a bear because I want to hibernate through the summer. I want to wake up in September and live through March and then go to sleep. You do fun
1: things, you go places- in the winter, especially if you have non-precipitation, you're talking about just cold, miserable, cloudy... But doesn't it make you appreciate, ground. like,
0: you're outside, you're freezing, the, the wind is cutting through your bones and you're shivering, and then you walk inside a nice warm bar, and there's a fireplace, and you have to drink, and you get you put some vodka in you, and it warms you up, and then, no. doesn't that feel good no, now? No, no, no,
1: no, you, you want to you open up a cooler, pull out a cold, 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 cold PBR, and you're in good shape.
0: This is why, this is ultimately why I could never be a southerner. There's there's a, I have a there's a few I have a cultural disconnect with a few parts of the South and I think that's I think that's I think From that's number ocean. one.
1: Also, the thing about South and thing about uh, hot climates is really really spicy food, which I love.
0: You're supposed to eat that in a hot climate, yeah, right? The, that makes you
1: sweat the right way. It's good for. What you. is the
0: right way to sweat?
1: It's you get the right stuff out. You cool off. <laughs> is there different
0: stuff that can come out? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't you know this. You, you <laughs> I'm telling you,
1: North you Carolina. You Get some barbecue. You put that vinegar pepper sauce on it. You're chilling out. You know every. You know you put some. You put some. Uh, you put some you, Texas Pete on there. you just. I mean, you're golden, man. You're golden. It's just a hot day, shitting outside, cold beer. All oh, you got that going for you. You're lucky.
0: Can I relate? That's what you want. We are, uh, we're running out of time here, uh... uh more audience oh, we... Hot and muggy is miserable, but extreme cold is life-threatening, somebody just said. Oh. Well, yeah, that's, you okay. know, that's a little heavy.
1: You can die of the heat, too. I mean, I don't want yeah, to be such a, a, a downer, a, but, I mean, you can. So you can die in any weather. Yeah, that's right.
0: Um... I want to ask you this, though, before we go, because yeah. uh, we, we've been saying this on our show, and I'm waiting for this to happen to you. We, uh, we have a list of the people who, who have come on our show, and then the next thing we know, we turn on the TV, and they're on Meet the Press, mm-hmm. or they're on This Week, or they're, they're, they're getting these big jobs. Getting the, you know, they, they graduated <laughs> from our show, and <laughs> some of them, I'll tell you, Robert Costa has gotten really big. We'll yeah, watch he's you know what? By God, he's great. Every time we call him. He doesn't come on every time. He's, he has a life, but he comes on a lot. And uh-huh. he doesn't have to do that. And I would just like, Hall of Fame, as far as I'm concerned. Great reporter. Well, some of them, you know, they get a little too big for us. Let's be honest. And So Who's when this that? happens let's, to let's, you. Let's, let's name a name. Uh, I'm saving it for the memoir. All right. But uh, uh, when you get, because it's coming for you. When, when, when you get that, like, the, the meet the press call, are you going to are you gonna remember us? I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now.
1: If I get a meet the press call and I get an up with Steve call, I'm doing up. That's it. Oh, you're the best. Up yeah. is... My, like, seriously, it's my it's, like, it's my home. It's the only show I really do. I love it. I have a really good time. I don't want to meet the press. I don't want to do that. i am I going to be on with? I'm going to be on with, the, you know, I don't know, whatever panel they have on that. We're going to be on up. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a magic wall. We're going to throw stuff around. We're going to have a donut. It's we are,
0: up is what's up. Well, that, I can tell you, is the correct answer. So thank <laughs> you. It. Thank you very much for that. Um, and thank you for doing this tonight. I hope, sure. a, I hope you had a fun time.
1: I hope that uh, America was entertained by this. I really <laughs> feel like.
0: We learned a lot. We had we had a good uh, we had a good audience for this hour. Uh, I'm, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry at home if you hour. if you guys missed Orange is the New Black, it will never be on again. Yeah, so yeah, you, you missed your one your one chance to see it. So, awesome. but Evan, thank you very much for doing this. Thank you guys for uh, for watching. Uh, this will be up as a podcast soon, and we will see you soon.